that. If you sit and say, what are your top risks? Everyone's going to say, oh, it's my cyber risk. And, you know, I'm really concerned about these five things. And but those are actually probably, you know, some of the most talked about things that are happening in your business. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 190th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Amanda Cohen to the show. As the Director of GRC, or Governance, Risk and Compliance Products at Resolver, the worldwide leader in risk and security management software, Amanda is reimagining the way over 5,000 of the world's largest organizations, including financial brands and fintechs, think about their relationship to risk. And as we all know, risk is a relationship we're going to have to get comfortable with because risk is not going away anytime soon in an ever-increasing, hyper-connected digital world, which is why I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Welcome to the show, Amanda. It is so good to share time with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Before we get into talking about risk, I want to start off on a positive note, as we always do on the show. What is going well for you? What is good in your world right now? Well, I think, I mean, the weather's getting better, so that's a really good start after a pretty long Canadian winter. But beyond that, I guess two weeks ago, we were acquired by a company called Kroll. And uh, Kroll is a leading global risk governance and growth solution provider, which is pretty exciting. I've never actually been on the receiving end of an acquisition. So it's nice to kind of like see what that feels like and go through that. It's a lot of learning. But ultimately, why I think we all think it's pretty exciting is that at Resolver, our goal is to transform risk management into risk intelligence. And they have a very similar mandate, very similar vision. And so we think the pairing of that is, is really great. And then they bring a ton of subject matter expertise to the organization that I think will just really help build us up and build us into an even stronger business, which is exciting. I like the way that's framed risk governance and growth transforming from risk management to risk intelligence, which we'll get into here on the show. Because when I think about the word risk, risk management, compliance, I know that that these words typically send the since chills up the spines of marketing teams, even sales teams, leadership teams at financial brands and fintechs and the relationship between marketing, between sales and, and risk management, between compliance sometimes has some tension associated with it. And, and I found that this tension is often because there's a lack of of clarity. There's a lack of awareness of why this is important to have this conversation. And that's where I want to start our conversation here is to clear the air between marketing cells, GRC. What is the reason that we see tension in these spaces typically from marketing teams, sales teams, oh, compliance, they're just trying to shut us down and they're not going to let us have any fun. But it, it is through a heart of purpose, it is through intention, and it is through ultimately so that we can continue to grow as a financial brand, as a fintech. What's the reason for the tension? 
Well, I think, I mean, as you stated, there's a lot of, there's not a ton of clarity in terms of what the two teams are trying to accomplish. And it seems like they're often trying to, they're competing for against different goals, different priorities, but so compliance or, or risk, even they can often be seen as like a barrier to innovation, as opposed to someone who can help you grow yes. and help you achieve your targets or your strategic objectives. And so I think when you start to think about how these teams can understand each other's value a little bit more earlier on in the process, then you can work together a little bit more meaningfully. So actually one of your guests a few weeks ago, Howard uh, Tierski, he mm. talked about, he gave an example of opening up an account. And how, you know, historically, a lot of financial institutions, they send over like a paper document, and then you're signing it, or maybe you get the luxury of getting that PDF document. But if you're not, you know, creative enough to know how to sign that PDF, you know, that can be a challenge. And it's just a barrier to getting you through to the next process. And so if you take a step back and say, okay, what are our obligations that we have to achieve? Regulation actually very often is more guidance-based than prescriptive. And so there's no like, it must be done in exactly this way a lot of the time. There's obviously exceptions. But if you can think about it as like how to guide your business, and then you can say, okay, we're looking at innovating on the way that we introduce new account holders. And you introduce compliance to that problem early, you're going to have way more success because you're not building this entire program, you've kind of got everything aligned, you've got exactly how you want to execute it. And your final check is, oh, well, let's just validate it with compliance. And then compliance is like, well, okay, no, let's go back to the beginning. You missed X, Y, and Z. If you talk to them early in the process, then you can, you know, you know what to expect. You're getting ahead of those challenges. And then you're building out um, your new product line, your new service, whatever it may be in a way that's you know, adheres to the regulation and people can be much more flexible when they're brought in earlier in that process. That's a great perspective and one that that really I, th I feel marketing can understand through an empathetic lens because marketing often laments, oh, we're brought in way too late. We need to be brought in early and often to help facilitate the, the, the conversation about how we can bring something to the marketplace. And I think compliance feels the same way. So there's a there's an empathetic conversation that can happen there. I'll tell you too, financial brands and fintechs that have been in our banking on digital growth program, those that bring compliance in to learn alongside marketing, alongside sales, alongside leadership, are the ones who go the furthest, farthest, fastest, because there's a common language. We 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 remove some of the frustration and tension because we're all now working towards a, a common goal. And I, I think another thing when it comes to, to risk management historically, and, and you touched on this a little bit, I want to go deeper here, is that it is viewed from a reactive lens. Once again, kind of coming in a little bit too late. However, the opportunity looking ahead is where risk management can, we can transform it from a reactive nature to a proactive nature to be more responsive, not through the traditional lens of what you were talking about earlier, risk management, but now risk intelligence. What does that mean, risk intelligence and the transformation that can happen here? Where might there be some opportunities available? Well, I think when, I mean, the whole governance risk compliance space, they're, they're meant to provide assurance on your business. They're meant to make sure that things are going in accordance to the way that they're supposed to. Very high level. <laughs> Bad things don't go wrong. And so if you start, if risk management is considered just the activity, and you see this, like, I'm sure everyone's had the team from risk or the team from compliance show up and they're like, okay, well, tell me about your top risks. And I was like, okay, well, you know, you're taking away from the time in their day 
first and foremost. And, you know, everyone in the business has their own objectives. They have their own goals and responsibilities that they have to achieve. So they're coming in, they're asking a bunch of questions. They're asking for a bunch of evidence and things Mm. to prove that your program's operating smoothly. However, maybe you just got asked those same questions two weeks ago from, you know, a different part of the business. Maybe audit came in and they asked you the exact same questions. So management of it is really you know it's a process it's like how do you get from step a to step b to step c and then you know present your final report and here we go and ultimately we just think that organizations are so much more aspirational than that yes okay so yes you've achieved that and maybe that's the starting place and you have to start somewhere and i we can all acknowledge that but actually like your risk data lives everywhere and you think about risk and you talk about risk every single day if you're crossing the street like you're looking both ways. You're mitigating your risk. If you're making an acquisition, again, bigger risk to evaluate, <laughs> but you are evaluating risk. And so when you think about risk intelligence, it's like, where are all the places in your business that these risk events can occur? Yes. And so how do you feed that data intelligently into your risk program so that when you're evaluating something, you're truly making it with all the information at your fingertips as opposed to you know, going out and asking that interview and, you know, back and forth and then consolidating it in some kind of spreadsheet that you're going to present in one single PowerPoint slide. And there you go. It's just not as powerful as having the insights, having the analytics, being able to, you know, well, those things are going wrong over there and those things are going wrong over there. And that's, what's really elevating our risk posture. It gives you a much more holistic view of what's happening across your business. I like this idea of, of taking this holistic view to your point and using this insight, this data really to gain insight, even to gain foresight into the future so that it, it doesn't catch us by surprise. You mentioned, you know, risk management compliance auditors going around asking, you know, what do you see as the top risk from your lens of the organization? And earlier this year, y'all published an article that lists the top 12 risk for financial institutions. And uh, the risk at the top uh, of, of this article was damage to company reputation, something I know many financial brands and fintechs they're thinking about, but you feel that there's a much deeper, a much darker, a much more dangerous uh, risk lurking below the surface. Think of it like a great white shark just waiting to strike a poor surfer who's blissfully sitting at the top of on top of the water waiting to catch the next wave. What's the danger here? What's the real danger that financial brands and fintech should be thinking about? Why should they fear the unknown? Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns and I think I can pull it back to an example of even like within our organization. So if you talk about, if you sit and have a conversation, we just kind of alluded to that. If you sit and say, what are your top risks? Everyone's going to say, oh, it's my cyber risk. And, you know, I'm really concerned about these five things. And, but those are actually probably, you know, some of the most talked about things that are happening in your business. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, your executive's aware of it. Your whole company in some capacity is probably thinking about those things. It's top of mind because they are your top risks. And so whether you're consciously running it through a risk management program or not, they're things that are being discussed. They're things that are being mitigated against. When you start to pivot your question and say, rather than what are my top risks, what are the things that are the least controlled within our organization? Then you're going to have a bit of a different conversation. And so we asked that question last year and we were like, okay, we know our top risks are cyber, but we you know, we're a tech company, we feel like we're very on top of that. But what we got into as we started having that conversation was actually some some of our third parties. And so, you know, we had just introduced this new partnership, we were so excited. 
And, you know, we were seeing traction from it and that was really great. But now we've got this almost like the single point of failure right. of what if that company that we're working with gets acquired? What if something happens to them? Like, yes, we've done our due diligence, but, you know, we need to diversify our portfolio a little bit to make sure that um, we're not solely reliant on one particular partner to help us achieve our revenue goals or help us support our customer needs. And so we wouldn't have got to that conversation if all we asked was what are our top risks, because we would have talked about the fact that, you know, we have cyber risk, but we are SOC 2 certified and we're ISO certified and we've got all those things in place to make sure that we're protected. Once you start uncovering and going a little bit deeper, that's when you're going to find, you know, the risks that pose challenges to you hitting your objectives. And they might not be kind of at the forefront of what you're thinking about. You have to really say, like, what are we not thinking about? And that's where you're going to dig a little deeper. I like that. It's what are we not thinking about? It's the not so obvious. It's the old adage. It's what you don't know, or it's the own unknown that will ultimately get you in the end. And I think another area that I want to dive into here and really through the lens of marketing and sales, because you wrote some great pieces on both perspectives around the top five risk. And and one that I cued on from the marketing side was Uh, a point to where the risk was inadequate marketing strategy. And I'm I'm curious to, to, to get your take on this. What's the risk here? Because through our research over the last five to seven years, we are continuously finding 80 to 85% of financial brands lack a a really true, well-defined digital growth strategy. And and a lot are just simply dabbling in digital. They're doing a little bit here, they're doing a little bit there, but but there's not a, a well-defined path forward. And that is creating some tension, that is creating some conflict, and ultimately it's creating some risk. So wh- what's your take? Why was this one of the top five marketing risks that, that financial brands and marketing departments face? Well, I think cohesively you need a strategy that's connected. So if you're planning to go into a digital space, then if that's your top level objective, marketing needs to align to that. So does sales, so does, you know, your product innovation, everybody. So there is this level of, you know, strategically making sure that everybody is on the same page and that we're all striving towards the same goals. And so if you're not thinking about risks to your strategy and things that could go wrong, then, you know, you might you might not understand the barriers of, you know, when just when something maybe when to fail fast, I guess Mm. it's, you know, you're testing something, you're testing something, but you know, maybe the risk reward isn't exactly panning out the way that you anticipated. So bringing risk into that conversation allows you to have a more meaningful discussion and say, we've got this particular target. These are the types of things. This is our tolerance from a risk perspective. We're willing to undergo so much until it doesn't make sense for us to pursue that anymore. Or if it is our top strategic priority, but it keeps getting deprioritized for other things, then what additional investment do we need to make sure that's successful? Because if you're, you know, if you're putting your hands in too many pots, nothing's really going to move forward at the rate that you need it to. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. 
That's a great point. And and, and for me, one of the, the things is in marketing, there is there's an abundance of quote unquote opportunity that is actually probably more risk than anything. It's I always say, what are the few things that we can focus on that will create the greatest value, create the greatest results over time, instead of trying to diversify, like let's get really good at these core competencies, that becomes a strength, but then that also on the flip side can become a a risk, back to your point of of looking at like say for example vendors, we're relying on too few sources, but then it's also about building that strength, that that capability. The same thing is true in another article, five risks that keep sales leaders up at night, which sales and marketing alignment was one of these five points. And this article really hit on something else that we're seeing because as you noted in the article, sales people are often not aware of marketing strategies or if they are, they just completely disregard them. And and once again, I bring this up because these are patterns that we're seeing from financial brands in the banking on digital growth program. And, And this point is where marketing and sales teams do have the potential to come together to not look at their world through their own perspectives, but really unify around what I'm saying is to become the growth team, to have that common purpose and also maybe introduce compliance in here as well. Let's talk about What are the risks for financial brands that fail to bridge this marketing and sales alignment gap? What are they leaving up to chance? What's the unknown that could get them here? I think one of the biggest ones is like, are you speaking the same language? Like if you have some messaging on your website and it's promoting a particular product and you've got your value you you understand exactly who you're selling to and they've pitched it really well but if that doesn't translate to sales yes then as soon as you've like people do a lot of their buying online and so if your marketing messaging is great then it's like okay well yeah i feel but then the salesperson has no concept of how to articulate that yep then there's no alignment there we were buying a car last year and this the sales rep was like well, let me tell you about the difference between the features of 2022 versus 2021. I'm like, well, if you saw my 2010 that I just drove in here, you're very clearly aware that I have no, the difference between those two models of cars makes no difference to me. Tell me about like the value of what I'm trying to buy. Right. We clearly did not buy that car, but like, (laughs) I don't need the pitch on all the features. I want to know like, what value am I going to get from it? Like, how is this going to transform my life and make my world better? Because I'm here making a selfish decision about how to improve what I'm doing today. And if those two teams, if the sales messaging doesn't match what the marketing team is saying, then you've just got complete disconnect. And it's, it's like just a huge barrier to being able to move forward in that process. Another risk that we see through this lens is for financial brands and even fintechs who are generating leads online, different types of leads through different stages of the buying journey, but there's a disconnect in regards to handoff. Sometimes these leads aren't even followed up with, and and they're literally leaving millions and millions of dollars on the table because these leads are just simply not being followed. There's, there's not even a disconnect from a language or a positioning. It's a disconnect from just an overall handoff. Something else that I've heard too, and this was recently with a financial brand in our program, they were talking about the risk around ratings and reviews, user-generated content. And I shared with them the fact that, you know, people trust people far more than they'll probably ever trust your financial brand. So, you know, let's build this into the system. Let's build this into the process. One of their concerns was, well, we can position great as a marketing team, but then on fulfillment, on service, because they were taking a digital first approach, 
they mentioned that, well, maybe our mobile app won't live up to how we're positioning on the front end. And they're already seeing that because of the negative ratings and reviews that they're receiving in the public square, if you will. So the fact that they have this awareness, I think, is a positive step in the right direction. What would be something that you would recommend for people who have some awareness of these risks? What do they do next to address them? So I think there's, I mean, there's all pieces of it. There's like, what's the sales approach? What's the marketing approach? What do you need to innovate within your product? But obviously... I think your first point was really important. It's like, okay, that's great that they've, they're starting to see that traction of reviews that isn't coming back as positive as they'd like. So what are you doing to track that? Like how, what kind of metrics can you put in place to understand either that the sales process is, or the marketing lead generation is not converting to sales the way that you thought, or people are slipping through the cracks there. Like, is there a metric in place? Can we feed that up somewhere? Because if there's no visibility to it, nothing's going to happen. If you don't have the insights, then like what, why would anyone think that there is an issue there? And so you do need to get the mechanisms in place to start to track that. Like from like the risk perspective, we would call those like a key risk indicator that we would want feeding into our risk management process to help understand our growth targets Mm. you know same on the review piece there's all of this information like to the risk intelligence piece there is risk everywhere in your organization so what are the key risk metrics that you're concerned about and then how can you automate that feed into your program and even if you're not at the point of being able to automate it it's like how do you get that and how do you understand the trend of it because hopefully the trend is tracking down maybe you had some bad reviews, but we're tracking towards that. And so how do we compensate from that? Well, let's do an outreach. Let's see how many more positive reviews we can get to kind of Absolutely. spike that in the opposite direction. Yes. And that's what, one of the things that we are talking about is building in the outreach to, to move this in the other direction. And I like what you said about KRIs or key risk indicators, because that really translates nicely into KPIs or key performance indicators on the flip side. And once again, I, it's the unknown unknown that gets a lot of financial brands. And that's one of the reasons I feel like training and education is so key to to part of the innovation process because the world is transforming at such a rapid rate that you know, having that lack of clarity is a really dangerous place to be. And we've addressed a couple of real key issues here when it comes to, to marketing and sales teams, but I wanna get, really real with you, Amanda. (laughs) GRC just is not a sexy subject for many. In fact, GRC could use some marketing and branding love internally as risk management as more of like a pair of boring but functional sweatpants. And and I'd say for the majority of our listeners in 135 plus countries around the world, working in financial services, working at, at financial brands, working at, at fintechs, I'm willing to bet that maybe just a small, tiny fraction stays awake at night thinking about regulatory compliance. Everyone else is, it's kind of a back of the mind thought. I want to get your take. What are the opportunities here for financial brands and fintechs to transform their attitudes, to transform their beliefs really throughout the entire organization about compliance before it's too late? Well, I think, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I don't think it's the the flashiest of parts of your business. But I think 
I guess there's twofold to it. One is if you're in the GRC space within the FinTech, within a financial institution, don't make it harder on yourself. Like if you also show up with antiquated technology and then you ask them to fill in something that's ridiculously hard, if you force them through that horrendously boring training video on password protection, like, I know I have to change my password. I know <laughs> I have to use single sign-on. I know these things and I don't want to do it every year. It's like, what are the things that you can do to make that experience less awful, I guess, on your business users? So, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but if you go to the same person and I'm like, hey, I really need my evidence for this and I really need this for this, but you're asking the same question over and over again, how frustrating is that? Yes. Like, I just answered it. I don't want to do it twice. I have bigger fish to fry. Like, I'm trying to move on from that. And so, if there's no collaboration between those teams, you're gonna just get friction back from the business. How do you work together? If you can't work together, then you're not really presenting something that's cohesive or meaningful or even a semblance of exciting out to the business. But then I think there's the opportunity to rebrand a little bit. It's like, you know, is there a marketing stakeholder in the organization that could help you yes. change that perspective? Like, how do you make this, take it away from being something that is a must have to a, how does it impact your strategy? Okay, like here's these really cool insights that we saw. An example, and I guess a reason we think that we're differentiated in the space is we're really focused on um, incident management and incident collection. And so, you know, that can range from what kind of suspicious transactions are occurring, breaches, complaints, all the way to the vandalism and, you know, employee fraud. And so as you start tracking those things and it's like, okay, these are the things that are actually happening in our business. And here's this real life picture of what's going on. And then you're feeding it into your risk program. Okay. Well, already you've got a little bit more of a compelling story, right? You know, it's like these types of things are happening and they're not just theoretical. It's not just me asking an arbitrary question and saying, well, what do you think your risk is? And you're like finger in the sky. Like, I think it's, I think it's high. I think it's more, I actually think it's low because I don't want to do anything about it. It's like, well, actually, no, here's the data to a point to say that you've had, you know, exponentially more breaches last year than you did in the last three years. And so what are you doing about that? That's a more interesting question. And it's a more interesting way of framing your risk conversation yes. than just coming at them and saying, tell me about your inherent and your residual risk. I like the way that you were mentioning before, this impacts what I call EX or employee experience. And I truly believe that the better we can make the employee experience, the better we can also make the customer experience because a positive employee experience leads to a positive human experience that can be exponentially multiplied through a positive digital experience. And so this does impact EX as a whole. And, and, I, and I wanna come back to the idea of thinking about transforming attitudes more probably deeper hearts, minds, beliefs about compliance. What are some of the roadblocks that the dear listener should be thinking about that could hold them back from moving forward and making progress on the front of GRC and from capturing some of the opportunities that we've talked here today? What, what are some of the roadblocks that they need to be aware of in just their own mind? So first and foremost, I think if you don't have executive buy-in, it's really hard to promote a program and get the company to buy in because if your executive team doesn't feel like it's important most people are not going to also jump on that train with you so but you're not going to convince your executive team that it's, that it's important if you don't show up with insights so yes. if all you're doing is coming to the table and saying well do you want to see the status of the program that we ran last year it's like not really like so you did it 
Any red flags? Neat. Okay. Can you condense that 10 minute presentation that I allocated to you for the executive meeting to three or four? So whereas if you come with the insights and that's again, like feeding some of that incident management data in, oh, looks like we're having this huge problem with drop-offs between our marketing and sales process. If you can start feeding those types of insights into how you're achieving your strategic or you're attempting to achieve your strategic direction, then you've already got something that's more compelling that the executive team can buy into. So I, I think that's first and foremost. I like that and idea. The, I like that idea. I'm going to pause real fast because I think it's something that's mm-hmm. very practical that your listener can take away. If you are in marketing, if you are in sales, or if you're on the leadership team, go to your marketing and sales team saying, hey, this is something that I want to see because it isn't just um, a status update. You're coming proactively, once again, with recommendations. This is the intelligence that we were speaking about to earlier. So continue. I just wanted to tie that point back together here yeah no it's great and then the other thing is like what's happening in the industry did you know the organization down the street just get some giant fine like okay so what could happen to our business what are we at risk of because of the insights and the the types of events that are happening to our peers to our competitors like if you don't have a pulse on that i think that you're also doing yourself a disservice like what are the emerging risks in our space that we need to be thinking about so that we can get ahead of them And again, it's not status. It's like, what should we be thinking about that will impact our strategic growth? And then, you know, you can't, but you can't do that if you're spending all your time, like consolidating this list in Excel. And then you've got your red, like red, yellow, green traffic light that you're putting in front. And everyone's seen that, you know, that one slide that ends up in the deck. And it's like, you know, our highest risk is this and we're doing here's these three bullets about what we're doing about it. And like, and then you move on. Mm. Like if that's all you're spending your time doing is collecting that output, then you really aren't spending your time focusing on all of the different insights and inputs that are coming into your business that actually have true impact. So I think you need to step away a little bit from that. Like obviously we're a software provider. So like, yes, get off Excel and move to technology. But beyond that, it's like, stop focusing on collecting and consolidating information in Excel and start thinking about how do you manage and collect insights from your organization? Well, I I, want to push on that pain a little bit further because we see the same exact thing on the marketing and sales side. For example, like lead gen and lead management is still being done in Excel spreadsheets that are on a shared drive. Like that's what CRM is for. This is what technology is for. It's to really help automate the predictable so that we can focus on humanizing the exceptional. And this gets back into the, you know, improving the EX, the employee experience. But to the point you're making before, unless you have executive buy-in, you're probably not going to get any traction here. And so it's, it's really pushing and poking on some of these pain points to like, does this really hurt? And it probably should hurt. And we should be addressing these points because it is about our future growth to tie this back to how you started this conversation here. And I want to look ahead to the future a bit as we start to wrap up this conversation. Amanda, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate your thinking, your perspective, your insights. What are you most hopeful about? What are you most excited about when you look ahead towards the future of GRC for financial brands, for fintechs? What are you most hopeful? What are you most excited about? So I think what I'm the most excited about is I'm just seeing this pivot over the last particularly like year or two. Everything in risk used to be very like, here's my risk category. It used to be very management and we've (laughs) gone over that a lot but it's like it's very how do I run a risk assessment process and that's 
fine, but it's also pretty boring. And, you know, it's, it's a workflow. Mm -hmm. People can do workflow, but now we're really starting to see a lot, particularly in the FinTech, they're the most on top of it, but they want to really connect their systems together. And I think if you integrate your systems and that's when you start to get those insights, like that's really powerful. And so this integrated risk concept, which is actually starting to materialize, not just in theory, but I'm truly seeing people on the ground, like really connect a bunch of data sources together use this information and then drive decision-making has been something that wasn't happening four years ago, three, four years ago. And now because it's so easy to integrate your systems and it should be really easy, you should have access to all the data you need at your fingertips within minutes notice. And so as we're seeing people take on that initiative within their organizations, like their risk insights that they're getting and what they're sharing back to the executive teams is just so much more powerful. That idea of you you touched on fintech really leading the way here. It's about data integration. And I see this too with financial brands, you know, for those who are looking and exploring and thinking about Bass banking as a service, you know, bringing together all of these different data points. Why? Why is it? Do you think fintech is leading the way here? I see fintech leading the way in a lot of different areas, and my only hypothesis is it's typically driven from a more entrepreneurial perspective. What's your take on that? Why fintech is is leading the way here? Say compared to maybe the incumbent financial brands. It's just not, it's a non-negotiable for them. Like they walk in and they're like, if if integrating your systems, if automation isn't an option, well, what am I doing wasting my time with you? And so they expect what they're producing in the market to be the same types of tools that they're working on. Yes. And that's those are the companies that really drive you forward because realistically, why should your B2B tool be any different than what you offer to a B2B or to a B2C customer? Yep. So like, the tools that you work on every day, if they're not super easy to use, if they're not really easy to get the information you need in and out of the system, then like, why use it? And so that's fintechs just, they're like, well, these are the tools we offer and we expect the exact same caliber or better for the tools that we use internally. And so they push us forward and they make sure that you're continuing to make those things accessible, which, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, I guess. And that means that everyone gets to have that kind of experience, which I think is really positive. I like that idea of collaboration because a rising tide really does raise all ships and we're all, you know, we're all pushing each other to be even better than what we were the day before, the week before, the month before, the quarter before, the year before. As we wrap up here, I want to get really practical with one last question because all future growth begins with a very small, simple step forward. What is one small step the dear listener can take at either their financial brand or their fintech to make progress on their grc journey something small that they can commit to do next what would be that one thing you would recommend i don't think you need to boil the ocean on this but find one example where you can tactically show how the information on the ground impacts your strategy i think there's like you can't do it everywhere but it's like here's how this insight that i found and the risk that comes from it mm. helps us have a better conversation. And so if you can really focus in on getting that one example, then I think you can show the value of what a program can look like and how it can exponentially help your business as a whole. But you need to find that example that's really powerful, that has resonance, and that either it 
resonates with executives or it resonates with your risk team, whatever it may be, to help drive that vision forward. Great thinking, Amanda. Great conversation. What is some? What is the best way that someone can connect with you to continue the conversation, the dialogue, just the discussion that we started today? So you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's Amanda Cohen. Or if you go to the resolver.com website, there are countless ways to get a hold of us. And I swear you won't just get dropped off the uh, mailing list um, with the transition. We'll find a way to get in touch with you. Connect with Amanda. Learn from Amanda. Grow with Amanda. Thank you, Amanda, for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Until next time. And as always, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.